Hello, and welcome to Teacher Tales, a podcast from the spirit of teaching. This is your host, Linda Markley, and I invite you to join me and my guests as we get curious, explore, discover, and learn more about what is really at the heart of teaching. In each episode, we will hear the story of a teacher, what called them to teach, what are their greatest joys and challenges in teaching, what inspires them, and what are their hopes, dreams, and vision for the education of children. We will learn more about the greatest lessons they have taught and also the greatest lessons they have learned. No checklists, no standards, no reports, no paperwork, and no data. Just stories from their hearts to our hearts on a journey to celebrate what really matters in the true spirit of teaching. Well, hello everyone and welcome back to Teacher Tales. I am so excited that you are here. We are going to take a trip around the world and meet our guest today who is coming to us from China uh, and she is going to explain why she is there and what she has learned about teaching and education and students and give us some new perspectives and some inspiration. So would you like to introduce yourself? Sure, Linda, it's a pleasure to be here. Hi everyone, my name is Brantley Turner and uh, I have been for many decades a teacher and, and administrator in China, currently working on projects both out of New York City and also in Hanoi, Vietnam. So really looking forward to sharing kind of both the outside in and the inside out perspective on how to think about education around the world. Oh, that sounds great. I'm so excited for this conversation. So you started as a teacher and you're fluent in Chinese. And as a language teacher, I'm really excited to hear that. And as a district supervisor trying to get Chinese teachers in our schools, even more excited uh, that you are you know, doing this work and everything. But can you tell us a little bit about how you started out in teaching? What drew you there? Or was it by happenstance, like some teachers? So like many guests of the show, I definitely was a student strongly impacted by the teachers that I had and, and had wonderful both teachers in the classroom, but also experiential education teachers. So more summer camp and in different environments where just interacting with educators, counselors was, was always just an inspirational series of relationships for me. So I think that the passion and interest in education, paying it forward and, and being a teacher to to others was something always in my mind, but I took a circuitous route. So yes, I did start uh, my teaching career. Well, I was a TA in college, but really I started teaching English to adults in China in the in the mid 1990s. But I will say um, present company uh, excluded, I was not a good English teacher, really quite terrible actually. And um, while I was a good student of languages, I do speak Mandarin in high school. I, you know, I took AP French I, um, it was really interesting that kind of ability to learn languages didn't convert into an ability to teach. So I have taught Chinese and English, but I would say that that is not my forte. So fast forwarding, I've done a lot of different jobs in China. I worked in market research. I didn't leave teaching, but there weren't a lot of opportunities in China in early 2000 for the type of teaching that I was really qualified to do. And I'm happy to elaborate on that later if it makes sense. But, um, I did come back to teaching and at school administration in the mid, uh, in, in 2005, and I've been working in education ever since. And most recently teaching international baccalaureate diploma programs, we call that IBDP, that's the curriculum, 
global politics. And I taught a bit last fall and it was such a blast. And so that's where my heart is and I hope to get back to it. But I am majorly focused on sort of administrating and school startup work at the moment. Global politics. That sounds like a really interesting <laughs> class. Uh, I don't know that we'd have something like that in our schools here, but that sounds really great. And we do have IB programs here. And right. uh, and IB programs are very uh, international baccalaureate. It makes sense. They're focused on global citizenship and having a well-rounded education and preparing students to be able to uh, function and even be competitive in you know the global uh, context and everything. So, so tell us a little bit about what you're doing with the school now, with your school with in China, and and you know what the goal is for that. So, um, in I work for a school network called the Dwight Schools, and we're both a family of schools, and that there are seven schools, uh, all in different countries. Uh, and at the same time, we're also, we've been a family owned and operated school out of New York City for 80 years. So the school is 150 plus years old, but it's really been guided and steered by this, the family, the Spahn family that operates the Dwight schools. And so I began working with the Dwight schools in 2008 in a capacity to bring students from the New York campus to China for different experiential learning uh, opportunities. And that was really kind of my pivot back into education after teaching in the classroom, failed English teacher, I started bringing students on learning programs and have worked with lots of different schools, all different types of students from around the US and Europe, and then joined Dwight schools full time to work on a project in Beijing. So just to set the stage for everyone, um, China has you know their own education system. It's a pathway to higher education, but there has been some space and particularly about you know, 15 years ago, there started to be space to offer international curriculum to Chinese national students. And that is outside of their Chinese national education system. And that was the time that I thought, okay, I've got a China background in terms of language and cultural and work experience. I am not Asian. I don't have any Asian heritage, but I thought this will be really interesting because I can kind of connect that intercultural piece with the opportunity to teach and be more involved in education in China. So Real quick, it's a long journey, but in 2012, had the opportunity to guide Dwight School to New York to partner with a public high school in Shanghai called Chibao High School. It's like a test-in, high-achieving student public school. And we created a partnership called Shanghai Chibao Dwight High School. It is the only Sino-US, so China and US, cooperatively run high school approved by the Ministry of Education in China. So we do implement international baccalaureate curriculum, the diploma program for 600 students in grades 10, 11, and 12. And just the piece to kind of understand that's unique about that is that 100% of those students do leave China and come abroad for higher education opportunities. And so it's really that bridge in, in terms of bringing in that international curriculum, but then also that bridge out to guide Chinese nationals for educational op opportunities outside. Um, I'm on the, I was the American principal of the school for its first, for the first nine years of, of operations. And I handed over my job this past summer. I'm still on to a new American principal, a wonderful guy from Richmond, Virginia named Robert Shields. And uh, I'm still on the board of the school. And I now kind of wear the title of East Asia Education Director for Dwight Schools. We have a school in Seoul, South Korea, in Shanghai, and now 
we are working on opening a school in Hanoi, Vietnam, which is in northern Vietnam. That's a great um, connection between all these different countries and educating students, bringing them in and that, that, you know, not just interculturality, but, you know, the exchange of international perspectives and everything. Maybe it'll be a bridge. You kept using the word bridge, and that's a great word. I love it in education. Um, a bridge to maybe some global peace, you know, like your global politics course. Like maybe this is going to help out because things are not, you know, the relations are not really great right now with China. And so, you know, maybe your students, your school could help be that bridge. I don't know. But, and, this is for other schools. I was in a very high achieving school uh, and we wanted to have a Chinese teacher come in. There are a lot of IB schools in our area. So if you're listening, um, just I'm going to put it in the notes how to contact uh, Brantley and get more information about the school. And and just, you know, maybe it might even be a, a cultural exchange of pen pals. Who knows? You know, broaden perspectives and everything. So um, so, you know, thank you for that explanation of what the school is doing and, uh, and how, what its impact is and stuff like that. I know I saw in a description, it said that the school is driven by a belief in the power of disruption. And I was wondering if you could explain a little bit about that, because in American schools, we're like, no, 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 no disruptions, you know, totally have, you know, uh, discipline and the kids, you know, have to be seated in a row and, and uh, taken, you know, just no discipline issues and stuff. So. Well, certainly at the classroom level in China, I taught throughout my entire time, but only at the only taught electives by the time I was, you know, full time administrator. But yes, I would say the biggest challenge of my classroom in terms of um, discipline was just sleeping in class. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, certainly less disruption in that sense, and that's really fun that you picked up on that. And I have my brilliant communications director in Hanoi, Laura Mitchelson, to thank for that line. Uh, but here's, I mean, the reality is that. Education is often about operating within a framework. And a lot of how you think about that framework defines your reality. So constraints, right? We all have constraints, whether they're budget constraints or norm constraints or constraints put on us by uh, you know larger educational bodies that are out of our control. And I think that that can be very demotivating unless you think about ways to disrupt within the system. So I'm not sort of talking about everything in disruption is like breaking out of the system because then maybe you, you can't do anything, but ways that we really looked to disrupt in, in our context was first of all, our existence was a disruption because it is directly educating students to go abroad, which could be seen as, making a commentary on the national education options in, in the context in Shanghai. But the reality is that um, countries, and I would say all countries, need people who get exposure and have opportunities to see how things are functioning in other places. And that was very much understood about, about our school. There are other ways, too, when we talk about fundamental skills like critical thinking or um, innovation and, and ideation that were brought on for us in, in that context by a really wonderful program in the arts and giving students and maintaining the commitment to the arts throughout high school, through the visual arts, studying film, studying music, studying design technology, 
And that might not sound very disruptive in our context in the U.S., but the reality is that because students in China are so heavily tested throughout their entire journey as students, but then particularly at the upper levels of, of high school, that those are the programs that tend to fall away. If you're not tracking specifically, let's say, to an arts college, you may not make space to continue, right? You may be focused entirely STEM you know, engineering and math and science, but you're losing that critical thinking piece that comes from the process of working in the arts to putting yourself forward for critique, to opening up your creativity to share with others. And so I would say that disruption term is really site specific mm -hmm. and very context specific. But what I would just encourage listeners to do is to think about that within their own framework. You know, how can you how can you innovate and how can you disrupt for for certainly for lack of a better term, whatever the reality is in your in your context. But still, you kind of, you know, you can't completely color outside the lines. Right. So that leads me to a couple of things that I want to talk about. As far as I just saw a, a, a post um, social media, uh, uh, it was a screenshot of a letter that a principal wrote to the parents and the students at the school. And it said, you know, we're doing testing right now and we're testing in certain subject areas. But if your student is not really strong and, you know, it excels in those areas like math and science, remember that they may be the future artists, musicians, um, you know, innovators in technology or whatever. And, and I thought that was so beautiful because it's happening here in the U.S. too, where we're testing so much and we're having so much focus on STEM and on, uh, you know, creating these students that um, are excelling in those subject areas, but we forget about the whole, you know, art from the heart and uh, the creative side and growing as a human being in those areas and contributing that. And we all have that in us. Um, and, and so, yeah. So, and, and, and in Florida, <laughs> we're, we're really shutting down a lot of that stuff. Um, and so, uh, so I like to hear that it's, I, I like the word disruption, you know, it is a disruption. Maybe for some people, that's the negative aspect of it. It's disrupting tradition, mainstream thinking, you know, whatever it is. And, but then the other side you were presenting is like disruption in that, we don't have to follow a script. It shouldn't be a pathway directly to a test um, that someone else has decided is what a student should be um, in life. So, so anyways, I'll let you say some things. <laughs> well, I think it's really interesting, you know, what you raise and it, it's so timely, right? We're, we're talking together today now in May of 2023 and and we've now been living in a kind of AI front and center world, at least since last November, December, when ChatGPT dropped. And if it wasn't on your mind before, certainly on a lot of educators' minds now, and certainly language educators, you know, the, the things that make us uniquely human and that we should be working to celebrate and that we should be working to embrace are a lot of what we talk about with what can be disruptive within schools. Because the way in which education is structured and, and, and has been you know, cultivated over the last 100 years may serve a very different future than the one that's in front of us. And I think that I, I'm a perpetually optimistic and positive person, I think, by nature. And so I try to look at the positive side of 
of everything around us about what's happening with AI and what's happening with while I feel certainly very disheartened about the global relationships that that we have, um, you know, in front of us on a daily basis on the news and a lot of the negative thinking around our, our, our you know, our country's conflicts. I, I also um, would just say that so much of what we can celebrate it as, as educators is what I think is going to make our future bright, even in, in face of a lot of these challenges. And so certainly the creative, creative arts are de- near and dear to my heart. I have a background in East Asian studies, but also in art. So uh, there's a bias there, but I think it is, it is what's special. And we need to make sure that we create space for that and that we provide funding and that we champion it and we value it. And like you said, we can see that disappearing around us. I think it's just mm-hmm. the wrong move given the fact that we will be living in an AI world. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit of uh, um, hypocritical too, because we have the Every Student Succeeds Act, um, you know, passed down from, uh, you know, Washington D.C. and and it says that we are trying to. The goal is to have a well-rounded child, and a well-rounded child does not just have you know STEM, and you know the arts is part of it. And I know there's a movement for STEAM and that sort of thing, but. I, I, there are so many other things that goes into raising a child. I mean, social emotional learning is coming up now, uh, especially after the pandemic. Uh, teachers are struggling and leaving the classroom uh, on a daily basis because of that struggle and because they don't feel valued. They feel under attack all the time. And I know we had a little conversation about this before I started the podcast about, you know, what teachers are burning out, teachers are leaving the profession, and you have a, a, a little different perspective and an idea to present to them. So you want to share that? Sure. So I teaching is just so incredibly hard. And, and, you know, one would have wished that the pandemic made that more front and center for folks as they recognized the absolute imperative for children to be in school and to be supported by adults that care for them and that give of themselves every day to students. I think that it's a calling. I believe that entirely. I, I, I think that it is not for everyone, but for those that, that are called to teach, it's just so important that we celebrate that at every opportunity. And so when we sort of think about the burnout and just this leaving, you know, the, this brain drain and the leaving the profession, look, I get it. I mean, honestly, I look at young teachers, much younger than myself, who have friends who all work uh, remotely and make their schedules and have a lot of flex time. And you see so many posts about the four, you know, the four out four day work week and, you know, okay, well, what does that mean for teachers and kids? And, you know, I just always come back to that question. Every time I see something, which is about how work is changing for everyone and we're never going back. I don't feel, I feel like sitting in a teacher's seat or in an administrator's seat, that's, we're not at that party. And so leaving is is something that many folks consider as a result and classrooms are hard and budgets are tight and there's a lot of class you know bodies in those classrooms so i would say and encourage uh, listeners to think about changing where they're teaching so pivoting to a new context and certainly in my case that's been having spent a lot of time outside of the us that's been that international context and i think you can look at available programs. It can feel really hard for teachers to know what uh, resources are out there to find jobs outside of the U.S. or in a different country. And I'm certainly not saying just leave the U.S. forever, but 
doing a tour of teaching or working in a, in a service capacity for teaching um, for two years and then rejuvenating and feeling like you can come back to the classroom with a, with a new lens and a new perspective is so it can be really uplifting and, and real success case for many people. So I would just say, look at those opportunities abroad, listen to podcasts in which you can listen. Certainly this podcast has folks that have spent time abroad teaching. And I think it's great to hear those stories. And, and then I would just say, think of, you know, think down the road of peace, like really think about where you, where do you see yourself in five years? And, and what does that life look like for you? And what brings you purpose and fulfillment? And if you can, Think of another career path in which you think you'll be as fulfilled as you can be by teaching, then seriously consider it. But I know a lot of teachers for whom corporate world living and other types of jobs really don't wind up bringing them that personal satisfaction and fulfillment. And so look back into why did you get into teaching originally and look for other places that sort of spark that for you again and bring you that inspiration. And and, and often they are abroad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, remembering your why. And sometimes we get lost uh, and forget that. And uh, and a lot of teachers have left the business world to come into teaching because they want to have a greater impact. And, um, and I think that, you know, I've had lots of blog posts and newsletters and stuff about keeping a little treasure box of little notes and letters and everything that, uh, you know, students have written you or parents have written you and just read those, read those and get you know, recharged again. Sometimes it's time to leave a school and go to another school. My daughter just did this. And, um, and you know, it's, it's really hard at first to make that change. And I think kids, teachers are a little reluctant to do that too, because they build very strong relationships with their students um, and with even students coming up because they get to know, in elementary school, they get to know all of, you know, the students at the school for the most part, but in high school, it's a little bit harder, but still it's hard to leave the students. It's hard to leave the school, your colleagues, maybe sometimes, but sometimes those are the same reasons why you have to leave and you go somewhere else, but it's really hard to make that change, but you have to have a leap of faith. It will work out. Yeah, absolutely. And I would caution, you know, the grass is always greener is something that, that many of us feel. Um, and we, we listen to colleagues who we seem to feel like, well, goodness, I mean, you, you're so down on this place, maybe, you know, why is it that the grass is always greener somewhere else? But I think sometimes it can feel like the challenge. So like, let's talk about keeping your licensure up up to speed. You know, you can find international assignments at schools where your state licensure will recognize that time that you've served abroad. We we did WASC accreditation in in China, I think partially because my wonderful librarian at the time wanted to keep his Alabama uh, certification, you know, up to speed and keep climbing that. Now he's back. He's teaching. He's a librarian in Tennessee now. But, you know, again, it requires a little extra legwork, but you can start to solve for yourself those challenges. If you are a, a teacher with children, you know, find an international assignment where your children free of charge as a benefit to you can attend that school. And that there's a lot of those kind of options. So certainly the why, it's interesting, just real quick on your show, I was listening to the episode with Tony, the Chinese teacher in Arizona from a couple couple weeks ago, and I actually got choked up um, because I remembered, it was interesting, his, of course, his experience, right, kind of mirrors mine, he's Chinese national, but he teaches here, and he worked in business, as did I, and he came back to teaching, as did I, and, you know, there were some interesting similarities, and I'm sure we could have fun talking, um, and 
he was talking about, you know, don't give me a teacher appreciation gift, a Starbucks card or whatever it is, but, you know, send me a note in the future. And I, and I had this memory of a student that I brought to China, an American student who had not long before lost his mother. And he was a very um, quiet student and didn't actually seem to be enjoying the trip. I mean, he just wouldn't eat anything but rice and um, drink Pepsi. But he gave me at the end of the trip, this dragon holding this little ball. And he said to me, and it was more than he'd said to me the entire time we were together in the class and in this experiential program. He said, you know, your name in Chinese is Long Mei, which means dragon plum. And I saw this in the market today and it looked to me like a dragon holding a plum and I bought it for you. And I still have that, right? And it just, oh. just the, the, the impact and all of us have those stories and digging into those stories when, when, like you said, times get tough or you need your treasure box. It's just, I mean, again, I'm, I'm going to come back to like what makes us human and we can't lose sight of that and those emotions and that impact is, is, is everything is critical. Mm-hmm. It's it's what lasts. It really is. Other things can come and go and stuff, but those, you know, that impact in the heart is always there, um, and it, it doesn't go away. And so, um, you know, I and Teacher Tales podcast I hope inspires teachers and reminds them of their why. And some of the stories, like what you just told, you know, will trigger them thinking about, oh yeah, I still have this little thing that every year at Christmas when I put up the Christmas tree, I have lots of ornaments. And I just remember every student, whenever I put an ornament up that I was given from a student. Um, and, you know, even, you know, here in my office, you, you can't see the background, but I've got all these things. Some of it's from my own travels, but other things are when kids traveled and they were like, I learned this in class and that's so exciting. So I bought you one, you know, and they brought it back as a, uh, and, and so it's, it's, the impact is profound and uh, teachers just have to keep remembering that. And the appreciation thing, I know I say all the time, it, we shouldn't just spend one week appreciating teachers. And if you look at the etymology of appreciate, it means to go up in value. And it seems like that's just the opposite of what's happening right now. So Tony's, you know, what the value of a teacher is, is in those words and those heart connections and the impact that they have. It's not in that test score. It's not, I know teachers would like more pay because we equate value to money and we should be paid more. And, and I agree, just had a conversation the other day about um, uh, statistics and how a baseball player that makes $15 million a year you know, a batting average can go up to a thousand, but this batter has like maybe a 300 batting average and they're getting 15 million a year. Like, what is that all about? Yet with test scores, teachers, you know, are, you know, grappling and trying to get every little, you know, point in their scores to just feel like they're not a failure, let alone, you know, valued. So, um, but you said testing, there is a lot of testing in China. So, um, and I've been to China. I visited a lot of classrooms and everything. And, uh, and it, it, you know, what I really loved in a lot of the schools, the national schools, was that they did Tai Chi in the morning in the courtyard. And I felt that that was amazing. And I took up Tai Chi after that. And then the other thing, too, was in most of the schools that I visited, um, they had a counselor just for the teachers just for the teachers to be able to keep their mental health up and their well-being. So um, interesting. So yeah. we have a we have a counselor for the the Chi Bao Dwight International Faculty just out of um, some struggles with the with the three years of the border closure and and what that did to folks. 
Mm. Um, but what's interesting, you know, people have asked me a lot what I can point to in the Chinese national education system that I think is something to learn from. And one of the, the things that I think is the other word aside from money is time. And, and teachers never, we never feel like we have enough time. And, um, you know, one of the, one of the things in China about teaching large volumes of students, the same content. So you could have hundreds of students studying the same chemistry specification in a, in a large Chinese high school, of, you know, 3000 kids and teachers in those contexts often teach a maximum of 15, you know, 40 to 50 minute periods a week. And the rest of that time is for planning because there's a huge focus on standardization across different teachers that teach the same subject at the same grade level. And those opportunities often come with volume because you have so many students, again, studying the exact same thing, but with different teachers that you've got to ensure that you're, you're, you're aligned and you're standardized. But that time piece, I, I come back to it. I feel like one of the one of the really interesting things for all of us to think about is we can talk about pay, we can talk about burnout, we can talk about feeling really strapped for time, spending nights and weekends just to make sure that we get our jobs done responsibly. But what is what is ultimately going to give? You know, what is ultimately going to be the thing that comes in almost from the outside and disrupts our reality? Because I'm not. I'm not sure I'm as convinced by a kind of evolution from within. Uh, and the pandemic did not disrupt that reality, right? It disrupted our physical reality, but it did not disrupt the reality of the pressures. And so what is really going to be the thing that, that drives the change in education? And by the way, I would not suggest that we change our system to, to mirror China's. I know there's a lot of talk about how math is taught in China and, and all that. And that's a different podcast show, I'm sure. But but it's but something will disrupt our our industry for, for for lack of a better term of what to call it. And I think thinking really deeply about what that's going to be is is critical because we won't ever make what ball players make. Um, that's our system, but we do need people to teach kids. And so, you know, something's got to give. And hopefully it'll be teachers at the table that are making these decisions instead of legislators and people that feel they're experts just because they went to school. You know, I sat in a desk in a classroom, so I'm an expert now. And that's becoming more and more prevalent where, I mean, I think because of social media, everybody feels very, have, they have permission to just share their opinion about everything and that they're an expert on everything. So, but um, the teachers are the experts. They are the professionals and um, they deserve to be treated as such. But I, I, I hope they're at the table. And I think there does need to be a major shift and disruption, as you said, in the system that and I thought the pandemic was going to do it. But it uh, social emotional learning has shown up now as a result of that. Thank goodness. But um, there's still a lot more improvement uh, that needs to happen. Uh, fewer tests, uh, less shaming, <laughs> um, and less uh, being very critical and negative of teachers and being very aggressive. We have very aggressive parents now that um, they need to step back and think about, you know, what their impact is, not only on their child, but on the field of education. So, um, but 
This has been a lovely conversation. Is there anything else you would like to add in a couple of minutes that we have left? No, I mean, just wonderful to to be having the conversation. And I would just say, I guess, you know, the key thing in, in thinking particularly about where you're sitting and just for, for background, my aunt, Anne, hi, Auntie Anne, uh, was a long-term English teacher in Florida in public school and ultimately left um, for, for many reasons, but largely financial reasons. And um, essentially also felt like she wanted to be celebrated for the hard work in the classroom and not scolded on where which part of the parking lot she could park in as a teacher. But um, yes, the, that's yeah. so true. The little trivial things that can be become ridiculous big things in schools. Yes, need to stop that nonsense. Right. But but I would just say that you know, look, the gift of the lens of having spent a lot of time outside of the U.S. I recognize it's a privileged position to have been in and to be in is to look back and to try to work to celebrate what is great about Western liberal democracy and to ensure that we don't allow um, a slip toward more authoritarian or more aggressive practices with regard to the free exchange of ideas, which is absolutely what we were built on. And so I would encourage everyone to reconnect with what has made America the place that, you know, the wonderful place that it is. And it is a wonderful place. The more time you spend outside of it, and the more you know that, I think, in, in some context. And, and the reality is we've got to celebrate that exchange because we certainly would not want to look like a place that doesn't. Yes. And we can't say anything more past that. That is a great exclamation point at the end of this conversation. <laughs> So thank you, Brantley. This was wonderful. Thank you so much, Linda. It was a pleasure. Hello again, everyone. This is your host, Linda Markley, and I'd like to invite you to nominate a teacher to be a guest on the podcast and to share their story. All you have to do is go to www.spiritofteaching.org and fill out the nomination form. Again, that's www.spiritofteaching.org. Also, please share, rate, and give some feedback to help us better serve you in the spirit of teaching. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to having you back next time on Teacher Tales.